This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Michaela Thompson sometimes beads African designs into her medallions and earrings. Cameron White illustrates diverse skin tones into his work. And a piece by Monica Rickard Bolter pays homage to her textured hair. They're among the artists who express the joys and frustrations of standing in two cultures. We're talking with Afro-Indigenous artists about how they share their stories. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Research shows that people in the West will face more days of unhealthy air due to wildfire smoke. And there's growing recognition that smoke does not just affect the air outside, it often creeps indoors. A new grant could bolster some tribal buildings against smoke. Boise State Public Radio's Rachel Cohen reports from Idaho for the Mountain West News Bureau. Last August, a wildfire burned just minutes away from the Clearwater Memorial Library in Orofino. It ended up destroying six houses. Library Director Jessica Long says some families were sheltering across the street and came over to read books and play games. Having a place that has clean air and is safe for them and their kids, I think that was important. Black smoke clouded the air. Long set up a DIY air filter inside. Soon, the library will become even more of a refuge. The Nespers tribe was awarded a $1.3 million grant from the Environmental Protection Agency to better protect community buildings from wildfire smoke. Julie Simpson coordinates the tribe's air quality program. People are not going to necessarily go to a newly established location during a wildfire smoke event. They will want to stay in their own homes or they're going to want to go to a, a regular public place. The grant will go toward deploying air filters, setting up air monitoring, and renovating HVAC systems in 16 buildings on the reservation, including libraries like in Orofino, community centers, and youth centers. That was Rachel Cohen reporting. The Coeur d'Alene tribe has come to a historic agreement with the Bonneville Power Administration to address how dams in the Columbia Basin have affected fish populations on the tribe's North Idaho Reservation. Spokane Public Radio's Steve Jackson has more. The tribe and the Bonneville Power Administration have been in discussions for several years related to the challenges in the way the dams have been managed and how the historic fisheries in the region have been hurt. Under the agreement, the BPA will help provide $10 million a year for restoring stream habitat for salmon runs and $45 million for two fish hatcheries. One hatchery will be on Hangman Creek for salmon stock, the other on Lake Coeur d'Alene for cutthroat trout. The tribe's legislative director, Tyrell Stevenson, says the real game changer is the federal government's willingness to work with the tribes to try to restore salmon runs. We've identified a problem, and that is how to get fish over those dams. So now we're working together to try and figure it out. And we've got, we've got some funding, and we've got a common goal. Whereas before, it felt to the tribes like the federal government didn't want to even talk about fish passage. The Coeur d'Alene tribe has already been working on an experimental program to release Chinook salmon into the waterways that the fish haven't been in since the completion of the Little Spokane Dam back in 1910. For National Native News, I'm Steve Jackson reporting from Spokane. 
The U.S. Department of Energy has announced $25 million for tribal clean energy projects through the Office of Indian Energy. Applications are open through May 30th for tribes, Alaska Native corporations, and tribal organizations. The DOE says the new funding is intended to help tribal communities deploy clean energy technology, lower energy costs, and increase energy sovereignty. The announcement was made Tuesday at the 2024 Tribal Clean Energy Summit taking place in California. Director of the Office of Indian Energy, Wahela Johns, made the announcement. She invited attendees to learn more about her office and take advantage of opportunities they provide, including tribal assistance, grants, and outreach. The summit continues Wednesday, featuring speakers, breakout sessions, and on-site DOE hours. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB who support this program. Skuktash. For more than 40 years, Ramona Farms has revived ancient traditional foods, tepary beans, pinoli, polentas, and more, all from store.ramonafarms.com. Ramona Farms supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Native culture has a long and rich history that is well documented on this show. Black culture in America also enjoys an expansive and complex history. When those two cultures coincide, the results can be both fulfilling and frustrating for the individuals involved. Sometimes artists are the ones best equipped to express what it means to have a foot in both cultures. In this hour, we'll hear from Black Indigenous artists who draw from two or more prominent cultural sources. As always, you can join our discussion with questions and comments. What do you think? Do we always welcome shared identities in Native settings? Are Black themes part of the evolving definition of Native identity? Share your thoughts and perspectives by calling in at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got our phone lines open, folks, so give us a call, share your thoughts, 1-800-996-2848. Joining us now from Washington, D.C. is Michaela Thompson. She's the owner of Owner of Beadwork by Michaela and Indigenous Creative, LLC. She is Nimipu. Hello, Michaela, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Great to have you, Michaela. Joining us from Chicago, Illinois, is Monica Rickert-Bolter. She's a visual artist and the Director of Operations at the Center for Native Futures. She is Prairie Band Potawatomi. Hello, Monica, and welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Miigwech. Miigwech. Joining us from Tacoma, Washington, is Paige Pettibon. She's a visual artist and a jewelry maker. She's Bitterroot Salish Black and White. Good morning, Paige. Good morning. And joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Twin Cities, we have Cameron White. 
He is a comic book artist and an illustrator. He's Choctaw and Cherokee. Hi, Cameron. It's good to have you on the show, too. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and get this conversation started. We're talking about the intersection of indigenous and black heritage. And Michaela, I want to start with you. And what does it mean to you to share those histories, those cultures, and those experiences? Oh, and it means a lot. I feel like that's a very open-ended question, but it's one to be very proud of at the same time. Um, who I am, I really just carry with me with it, with everything that I do. As I learn more, I do more. Um, so it's been a very big blessing to be able to intertwine each of my cultures, both per, both both personally and professionally within my work as well. Now, do you ever feel as though those those cultures, they, they compete with one another, either like just like in some ways one identity kind of suffers because of the other one or is one maybe more prominent or, or is it an even balance? Um, for me, I don't, I wouldn't use competition as a word. I would say at least for me, it's an even balance in terms of um, just kind of our experiences and that relatability. I think by introducing one to the other and actually having that understanding it goes a long way. I've seen it within my own communities. Um, so I definitely feel as though there, there's so much that there, there's so much, so many commonalities between the two. I think just getting more of that understanding out there will go a long way. I think if there is a clash, that would be the clash of just having more understanding. Um, but in regards to the people, the community, and just the cultures in general, I think there's a lot more um, similarities and differences for sure. And let's talk about those similarities and commonalities. How would you describe them more specifically? Um, I think just going all the way down from our experiences within this country and how this country was established and then up to individually in terms of the importance of our hair or some of the designs and things that we do on a regular basis. There's, there's so much that are really kind of are almost literally almost the same in many senses. Um, and so when it comes to just every day and the things that are important to us, um, a lot of the time you can kind of align some of those um, kind of tr traditions or cultures or, you know, a lot of those primary, the, the primary foundation of the culture, a lot of the, the traditions that we do have, and things that um, we hold tight to our hearts, I think are all are usually the same, whether it's the foundation of family um, or just just living, you know, a lot of the things that we have to kind of challenge ourselves with or get over, get through, a lot of them are the same because we have a lot of the same values within our, within our being and who we are. And as an artist, let's talk about the work that you do and how your cultural perspectives uh, are drawn into that, your beadwork especially. Yeah, so with my beadwork, I kind of just, I have fun with it. And right now I'm in this um, kind of time of, of beading of just, putting who I am into my work, regardless of what that looks like. I think with any um, artistry or any type of craft um, or just anything just in general that you're doing, there's always this theme that, you know, whatever catches on is what, this is what we're doing right now, or this is what's popular. And I really kind of just let those go and just started creating what I choose to create, whatever that looks like. Um, to my people, particularly the Nimi Poo people, we use a lot of traditional geometric designs. Uh, but then you can also find some in black designs as well. Uh, I, with my journey with that side of me, 
I took ancestry and I was able to see kind of from what people I come from and I'm hoping to dig even deeper to see from what tribes I come from and I've just been kind of studying those designs and finding ways to incorporate those in all of my pieces or accent piece accent um accents within my pieces um so right now I've just I'm just creating and having fun with it and finding ways to intertwine each of those. And you learned the, the, the art from your grandmother, is that right? I did, yeah. She taught me at the age of 10. I moved from New York to Lapway, Idaho on my res, and she had a huge closet full of bees, all of these old containers that, you know, are cookies or, you know, cigarettes or you know, those the little <laughs> containers, just, you know, random container, containers you put bees in. And so I was very curious, and I said, hey, I want to learn how to do this. And she said, okay, yeah, I'll teach you how to bead. So she taught me the basic stitch. She taught me the material she used. And then from there, um, as the years went by, I just found kind of MacGyvered my way with, with all of all of the beads and materials and, you know, found found different ways and different methods to kind of make it my own. So, yeah, I'm very grateful that she was able to do that with me. I love that phrase, MacGyvered your way. <laughs> I'm going to steal them. I'm going to MacGyver my way through this show here. Um, well, I mean, you know, one of the challenges here, you know, this is radio. So I want to let our listeners kind of visualize what the work is. So, so explain your style in a little more detail for our listeners. And, and what is it so that somebody looks at it and they just say, hey, that is beadwork by Michaela. Yeah, so I I really like bold patterns, but I, there's a lot of simplicity within my work as well. I like things to kind of stand out. And so that actually kind of ties to, you know, my work in terms of colors and patterns and things like that, um, just based off of the colors I use. Like a lot of Mimi Poo work, if it's a chalk white or, a, you know, a sky blue in the background, that's kind of how you know that it's Mimi Poo work. So I'll kind of use that base with those colors, just having that traditional influence and then putting in my design over that. Um, again, a lot of geometrics is what I use. Um, but right now I've been really focusing on larger pieces. The so wall canvases and bags have been really fun to do. So I think what separates mine, I guess, from anyone else's is the use and the patterns of geometrics along with these bold colors um, that I try to bring out within my work. All right. And in addition to your artwork, I know you have a podcast. It's called The Quantum Theory. However, it's not about physics. It's nothing like that. No. <laughs> um, talk a little bit more about your podcast. Yeah. So me and a good friend of mine, Kellen Trinnell, we have a podcast called Quantum Theory. And it's really, I mean, we all pretty much understand the conversation of blood quantum. If not, it is a whole nother conversation. And so what we do is we kind of just put our own perspective, the black native perspective, just throughout life, whether we're talking about entertainment, whether we're talking about mental health, whether we're talking about business, we really just kind of dig up what we have and choose to feel about particular topics and how it relates to us. And sometimes, and most of the time it relates to our, our identity just because we walk, you know, we walk for ourselves and within ourselves. And this is our viewpoint on the topics that we're talking about. So we've had, we've had a lot of fun just being able to, you know, just be ourselves in a space, but also influence people who are just like ourselves in these, in these similar and same spaces. Now I know Kellen as well, and he's a rock star, just like you. He really brings it uh, super animated, super passionate about his work. And, and what was it about uh, the quantum theory that, that you and Kellen decided, you know, you, you needed to create a voice and you needed to share this platform with, with black and native issues. Did you see a need? Like there just, there wasn't a voice that, that had those perspectives. 
Yes, yes and no. I think when we first started, it was it was actually for another project. We we were from the same res, and we always seen each other in passing until finally Kellen was like, "Oh, hi, my name is Kellen," and we've always we literally are about to pass each other again at another you know event, and we introduced ourselves and. I said, hey, you know, I have this thing going on. I want to see if you want to be a part of it. And it was very similar. It was just getting together and speaking on, you know, our our experiences being Black and Native within our community and just throughout life. And so we had that conversation and we were just like, well, let's continue having these conversations. So we kind of just got to know each other over Zoom and you, you see our our friendship bloom through the podcast. Like we really didn't know each other we were becoming friends just speaking to one another and all of that was because we had similar experiences or similar feelings that we may not you know we may not have known how to process just because you know we didn't we haven't connected with or known anyone um, with those similar experiences so aside from being black and native I think being biracial in general really kind of hits home for a lot of our listeners and so it, I think there was a need. Um, we went in with it to where it's like, well, we're going to talk about this and we're going to find the issues and the solutions for this. And then by, you know, a few episodes in, we're like, well, we don't have to do that. We can just be ourselves and just speak because no matter what we do, we're doing it as ourselves. And so that is the perspective. And so um, currently we have um, a good chunk of listeners that really relate to, you know, it feels good to have a chunk of listeners that relate to what we're talking about. Um, so just being ourselves is, is where we really um, kind of thrive in on that, on the podcast. Well, right on, Michaela. Really appreciate you kicking off our conversation today. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to be back with our other guests, and we're going to continue this dialogue. Give us a call, listeners, 1-800-996-2848. Okay, a Wingay chef, Ryan Taylor, moved his catering company, Yapopup, to a brick-and-mortar spot, bringing a fresh vibe to the historic center of Albuquerque. And a new federal report shows tribal agriculture is experiencing an upward trajectory. We'll find out what all that means on the menu on the next Native America Calling. This program is supported by AmeriCorps VISTA. You can kickstart your career by joining thousands of AmeriCorps members in the VISTA program serving to alleviate poverty. AmeriCorps members help organizations make change right in their own community. A service opportunity that fits your ambition can be found at AmeriCorps.gov VISTA today. That's A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. This is Native America Calling. We're talking with Black Indigenous artists today and the stories they express in their work. Please share your perspective. How does your tribe celebrate two or more sides of cultural heritage? Is artwork a window into shared Native heritages? Let us know. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That number again is 1-800-996-2848. Listeners, engage with us. Let us know what you're thinking right now. What are your thoughts? What are your perspectives? And Let's move on now to our next guest, Monica Rickert-Bolter, a visual artist. And Monica, hello again. Now, appreciate you joining us. Now, you sent us one of your art pieces before the show. It's called Hair Stories. Tell us more. Why the focus on hair? What makes it so special? Well, um, 
You know, as, as as we heard earlier from Michaela, I mean, I, I think it's a, a great segue into Black and Indigenous cultures um, with different designs and everything. And we all have those stories to tell. Um, you know, I, I remember growing up and my, my great aunt, who ended up raising my mom, so she was like my grandma, you know, she never wanted me to straighten, straighten my hair. <laughs> She's like, no, 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 please don't destroy your hair. Like really embrace, you know, what what your hair is like because it was so unique, if, you know, and it didn't quite fit in with, um, you know, my native side of the family and it didn't quite fit in with my black side of the family. So, um, you know, it, it was kind of hard for me to figure out what to do with my hair because <laughs> I thought, you know, my black cousins like, they are the coolest hairstyles. It was like your mind is like all frizzy. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to have a frizz, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like the braids would come out or something because it was a little too fine, but then wavy. So I was like, okay. So, you know, um, you know, in hair stories, you know, that kind of went through um, several different stages of me just kind of like growing up and trying to figure out what to do with the hair. So um, there's a lot of symbology throughout it, and there are some golden rods in the back. So the one thing I did, I do kind of like take from, because I'm not necessarily very traditional with the uh, Native practices, but one thing I did really like is that, you know, to honor um, deaths of significant people in your family, you cut your hair. So the rods in the back of hair stories represent significant losses where I did, um, you know, chop off my hair. But thankfully, it's growing really long now, and I want to keep it that way. <laughs> so everybody stay healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk yeah. a little bit about Chicago. I mean, I know there's a vibrant Native community there in Chicago. A lot of urban folk uh, was part of the mm-hmm. relocation. Uh, also, you know, a huge African-American presence. Um, how do you like that environment? I love it. I love it. At first, I wasn't quite sure, but that was also like 20-some years ago. Actually, I will be celebrating like 20 years of having moved to Chicago. Um, I came to the city for animation. From I'm from Michigan, so um, you know, I, I basically always stayed close to Lake Michigan. I didn't realize how much I loved the lake. <laughs> I actually do miss it, so I'm like, no, you got to stay close to the lake. Um, but, you know, it, it's been really, really awesome getting to know the artistic community and the Native community here in Chicago and, you know, what, you know, how it can grow even more. And, um, you know, I, I've had to deal with certain times where people wouldn't necessarily, like, think that I was appropriate to be part of the show or something. Or, like, I don't know, I guess. I guess sometimes there there is still some prejudice that I have to deal with, but you know, I with Center for Native Futures, we wanted to create a space that would be safe for these um, Native people with these different stories, the ones that grew up in the suburbs, the ones that are trans, the ones that um, you know don't quite fit the mold of like the stereotypical look or you know of one race or the other. So you know, I, I think having um, Center for Native Futures, we're providing that safe space and for people to really just kind of explore their own art and their techniques and, you know, building the network that, yeah, you're not alone over here. So um, and what, that's been wonderful. And what kind of feedback do you get when, when people see your artwork? A little confused. Because <laughs> I, I actually, so I studied commercial art. So I have animation background like I'm used to more dealing with digital programs and not necessarily putting my work into my art so and now that I'm you know away from that I wanted to do more fine art and I do still combine um, you know like digital programs with um, hand-drawn 
uh, sketches and uh, working with pastels and things. I I think people think that I'm a painter, but I'm not. <laughs> so okay. I'm actually not a painter, uh, but I do. I mean, I guess I paint digitally. Um, but I, I I love working with pastels. I love the feel and the texture and everything like that. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been fun. It's been fun because I also have I'm like a big comic book and animation nerd. So of course I'm like, well, when I think of going to comic book conventions, how they display their art, I'm like, oh yeah, printing on like metal work, like that really makes the colors pop out. It's very vibrant. But you don't always see that in like fine art settings. So uh-huh. um, that's that's been fun fun to kind of go through and um actually like when i had some installations at the field museum when uh, they ended up renovating um the native hall uh there's a section called we speak for ourselves and that uh, was commissioned to do a mural and it was all about the great lakes and it, it completely created like a whole new style for myself um that i hadn't you know done before and they printed it off on canvas and it was just like i, I was just like wow, I've never seen my work that big. I'm always so used to like working really small scale or just, you know, off the computer. So it's very cool to see if you get a chance, please go there and then, you know, dog them out. Let's talk about another one of the works um, that, uh, that, that you sent to us. And it's actually on our website and it refers to someone named Ralph, uh, Ralph Kerwinio. And this person has a rich story. Can you summarize it for us? Yeah, yeah. So that's also another installation at the Field Museum. Uh, that was a collaborative piece I did with uh, Kai Minoshpal, who is a, an Ojibwe trans poet uh, and also Ojibwe language speaker. And they told me about uh, Ralph Kiraneo, who uh, was born like late 1800s, but kind of had like a sensational story in the early 1900s uh, here in Chicago and in Milwaukee. So this was an Afro-Indigenous person, actually Potawatomi, <laughs> and um, where I was like, yes, tell me more. You know, they were born Cora Anderson, and, you know, they didn't feel like they identified as a woman. So, um, Ralph, so Ralph was created and, you know, presented to the world, and, you know, also early 1900s, you know, women couldn't do much. So, you know, Ralph was, like, really getting, like, showing, I can do these jobs. I can, you know, make as much money. I can do this really well, all of that. Um, but the funny thing, well, funny thing to me <laughs> with Ralph's story is that Ralph was a little bit too much of a ladies' man, and his wife didn't uh-huh. like that. So <laughs> oh, they no. kind of spilled the beans. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sensational story came out. But, you know, it, it's like these stories happen, and they've been they've been forgotten, almost forgotten. And thankfully, you know, we have people out there that are researching and trying to make sure that people know that, you know, these are issues that have, that go back generations. They go back hundreds, and, you know, how many years, you know, they really and it's are. all part of, yeah, human, human experience and these stories. And, you know, I, I think um, the quote that's on the picture, you know, is still very relevant today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, you've also written a couple of children's books in one of my, I especially love the title, Journey of the Freckled Indian. Tell us more about that one. <laughs> okay, so I didn't write them, but I illustrated and laid out. Okay, my bad. Um, Illustration. No, no, that's all good. That's all good. Um, so that was with uh, Lisa London, uh, former Miss Alaska. And it's really funny thinking about like, oh, how were you ever teased growing up, you know, for, you know, coming from two different cultural backgrounds. So Alyssa is Quinket, 
And, um, yeah, we also collaborated with Preston Singletary, uh, who, who provided the Northwest Coast form line designs for the book. And I, it, that was just such a wonderful experience. And, you know, we were trying to think, like, simply, simply put, how do we talk about blood quantum for little kids? And, you know, maybe open up the conversation for families. Like, is this something that we should look at? Because our numbers are running out. And, you know, why was blood quantum even created? You know, it was all part of assimilation and to thin out our bloodlines. So how do we still represent our cultures and, you know, walk that fine line? So um, Journey of Freckled Indian, you know, it's like a semi-autobiographical story that Alyssa wrote. Uh, about her, you know, kind of getting picked on at school and then, you know, going up to Alaska to visit with her, with her grandfather. And just, she goes on this magical journey, you know, with Raven and an eagle and killer whale. And, you know, it, it's, it was just such a fun, fun story. I definitely recommend checking it out. <laughs> All right. And we know Alyssa well here at Native America College. She's actually hosted the show before, former Miss Alaska. Maybe. And yeah, so she's just super involved. Well, that's awesome, Monica. And then tell us what you're working on right now. What do you have in plan? Too much. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, Well, of course, everything that's going on at Center for Native Futures. You know, we have uh, two exhibitions coming up later this year. Um, One is going to focus on Great Lakes artists because also why we created the space is that you don't always see any representation here in Chicago about, you know, contemporary Native artworks. So um, we're trying to highlight, you know, regionally uh, artists that are around the area. So um, Gigi Jibajuan is our exhibition that we have a program with our curator in residence, uh, Lois Taylor Biggs, also Ojibwe. Um, and then we're going to have a painter's exhibition, and that will feature some really can I say badass? <laughs> you know, fine art painters that are coming. Um, so that's this is public like radio, but I think we can. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you got a busy um, but, year ahead of you then. Yeah, and that's not even personal projects. <laughs> but you know, I, I am uh, collaborating with Amber Starks, and you know, we're also trying to do this project that acknowledges Muscogee people and relationship with freedmen and how we can actually relate it back to the land. So, you know, that's a project we're we're, we're doing in Georgia. Um, and I'm also uh, collaborating with my brother on a comic, an Afro-Indigenous future, futurism comic about uh, Jean-Baptiste Pointe de Sable, the first non-native settler uh, in Chicago, French Haitian guy, and he married a Potawatomi woman, Kitihawa, and just how their story, you know, like there, there's just not enough info about them. And it's like, well, let's make it, <laughs> you know, let's yeah. reach out and, you know, breathe some new life into, into these folks. So I'm very excited for those upcoming projects. <laughs> Well, Monica, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing in, in your enthusiasm and your energy. It's just infectious. I just love your attitude. So just keep up the great work, okay? Thank you. <laughs> you bet. All right, let's uh, bring Paige into our conversation now. Paige Pettibon, visual artist and jewelry maker, and Paige is up in Tacoma, Washington. And hi, Paige, are you there? Yes, I am here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, this is just a wonderful conversation. Let's keep it going. And uh, tell us more about your work and how you combine Native and Black elements into what you do. So with my work, I like to um, work with the framework of already 
being contextualized. So instead of bringing the viewer up to date or just kind of fitting into this stereotype of what they think is Black or Indigenous art, I just I just document what I see and the experience that me and my peers, my community, my family um, are having at this moment. And then also pushing the envelope and also trying to infiltrate in areas like the digital realm, which is so dominated by, you know, Caucasian males. And I'm just like, you know, I can do that too. So I'm just trying to indigenize spaces. Um, Also adding my black um, rich heritage in there too. And um trying to be authentic to our story and also reach an audience that's young and um, approachable for them as well. So I think that there's some healing with that. And uh, I want it to be accessible. I want my work to be accessible for all kinds of people because, you know, our people are working people. They're um, providing for their families and they, they should be included in our artwork as well. So that's what I'm working with. That's what I'm thinking of when I'm creating these pieces is making it for us. Making it for us. I like that very much. Well, Paige, tell us a little bit more about your upbringing and what inspired you to become an artist. So I would say that my gift is being an artist. There's been (laughs) so many different odds and ends that I've had, um, you know, I've I've been a nanny, I've been a house painter, I've been a, a person that cleans uh, houses, a paraeducator, a hairstylist. I've had many different occupations before, and art was always calling my name, and I don't know why I put it off. I think I was just in that, you know, survival mode that trying to, you know, provide for myself, but once I really delve into um, my art practice and spending all my time doing that, it provided for me and my community saw that I was being authentic to myself. And, uh, and then, you know, they started supporting me. And I think that when I was young, I wasn't really surrounded by my indigenous or black culture as much. Um, I'm, I'm in the city. I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, I, in my whole life. And I had to seek out um, my culture. I had to seek out my people, as we do. And then I started to find my identity. And that's the, that's the story. That's the voice behind my messaging. So they really go hand in hand, my upbringing and my story with my art, because that's what I have to say. And I really want to be part of this conversation that we're having today about being Afro-Indigenous and documenting it and making this identity such a strong um, perspective that's making history and so that we can't be denied, you know, Um, can't deny all these different types of voices with these um, subtleties and facets and different lived experiences. And I am so confident that, like, my perspective isn't a unique one and it's shared and I see that with other folks that, um, you know, they, they message me saying that I really see myself in your work. And that's like one of the most um, biggest gifts as an artist 
is to have that recognition and um you know you may not know that person fully but you have that connection and you feel related to them and then you take that and you take care of it and so that's been my um my upbringing is just be living in good intention and um try to be very authentic to yourself and learn you know i don't have all the answers i don't know everything and so I study a lot. I study a lot about um, different designs and where they come from in the history of these designs. Paige, thank you for uh, enlightening us and in, in introducing us to your world as an artist. We're going to take another short break, and we'll be back. We'll talk more with Paige. And we're also going to bring Cameron White into the conversation. He's a comic book illustrator and an artist. And uh, our phone number, 1-800-996-2848. If you'd like to give one of our artists a shout-out today, if you'd like to ask them a question, uh, phone lines are open, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of t-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from nativescreenprinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at aecf.org. You're tuned to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and we are talking with a handful of artists about how they express their shared Native and Black cultures. You can join this conversation as well by calling in at one 800 996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. One of our artists is on the line right now, Paige Pettibon, a visual artist and jewelry maker. And Paige, uh, you, like all of the artists on our show today, very much have a, a social and a cultural message in, in the artwork that you do. And and I want to ask, I mean, what is it about art? I mean, because there's so many ways to, to share a message and make your voice known. But what is it about art that you think, and specifically your art, that makes it such an effective vehicle for change and for awareness? That's a really good question. And <clears throat> I think... Art form penetrates these um, walls that we put up and people, you know, they can be defensive if they feel like um, they're being attacked. And I think art is so much softer, you know, it's, it's, it's something that people can also view and they take their own message away and they feel connected on a, another like level than just having a, you know, a debate or an argument, you know, um, I think it, it hits home and people can see um, the emotion behind it and they may not agree fully, but then they're like, well, I can't deny seeing this with my own eyes and feeling so moved. And at least we can come to like a common ground sometimes with that, you know, sometimes it works not for everybody, but I find that a lot of people will have a good understanding of who I am and and my people, when they do see it, if they are, you know, considered, you know, outside of the group. So I think my, as someone who is uh, triracial, you know, uh, Bitterroot, Salish, Black and White, 
I just lived in this ex- in this uh, existence of being in between so many different cultures and political views and backgrounds. And I've always felt like, why can't we love each other despite our differences? Why can't we support each other and um, try to understand where we're coming from? And it's what I love about, um, you know, like books and movies is that we really can tell a story fully with this creative expression. And, you know, people may not understand all the contexts that are behind these little, um, you know, decisions that we make, but they get the message, you know, it's, um, it's a fluid message sometimes. And art really gives a great, um, you know, platform to convey that. Thanks, Paige. Uh, I couldn't agree more with you. We're going to take a caller now, Chanupa, who is listening in Pine Ridge, South Dakota on Keeley Radio. Hello, Chanupa. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Sean. This is for Paige. Paige, I really respect your enlightenment and how you stand on your um, topics and who you are as a person of color. One of the things that I really um, like to always ask people is that as an artist, have you ever looked to other artists? Um, I have two down in South Dakota. One's from the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. He's my older brother, Daryl Nohart. And the other one is Daniel Long Soldiers. Both of them did some important figures back in time. Daryl Nohart, his um, murals up there in Bear Butte. And Daniel did one with a governor at the time. And, hey, they didn't want to give it credit because they thought it was offensive. But, Paige, in our, our language, we say, In our language, we said, the great mystery will continue to bless you if you speak of uh, your art all the time. And one of the big things to it all, as artists, you guys have the knowledge to find herbal remedies. And don't ever forget that one. That's my question to you, and thank you, Sean, for taking my call here in Pine Ridge. Oh. All right. Thank you, Chanupa. Paige, feel free to respond to uh, Chanupa with regard to, you know, native artists that maybe you look up to and just other other perspectives you can share. Definitely. I Thank you so much for that. I feel so blessed, and um, I really appreciate your offering and speaking your language, too. Um, that really got to me. Um, yeah, so I, I love other artists. That's one of my, um, my biggest passions is like going out and looking at other artists and supporting them and buying artwork. And, um, John Quick to see is from my tribe. Uh, she's been making art for decades. Um, and her art really spoke to me. I literally was at my community college, going to school, working with really hard to get my AA, it took a very long time. And I was in the library and it was my last quarter there and I had been going there for <laughs> embarrassingly probably like four years. And her they they had acquired a piece from her. And I I didn't really notice it until I was able to, you know, finally see the end of getting my diploma. And I I was like, that is a native artist. And I looked and it was and she was from my tribe. And it really spoke to me, and I was so inspired to 
you know, create art that just really pushes the envelope, that really pushes these ideas. But in the heart of it, it is, um, you know, indigenous, it is black because I am. And so I, I saw that and I was like really inspired to, you know, just really see what I can do as a person of my experience and see if people can connect to it with no context whatsoever. And, and they have, you know, people have shared my work and they're like, I found you. I saw this piece <laughs> and I found you. I had to seek you out. So it, I, I try to be very careful to, um, you know, do what my, uh, the people that I admire do and uh, create work that's authentic and true to ourselves so that when it goes beyond ourselves, the message still holds. And that's something that I've taken that I've taken from studying other indigenous artists. There's so many wonderful contemporary artists and artists that have lived before us that um, are just amazing creatives that really, you know, paved the way for us. And um, I think that they're also very kind in sharing their knowledge. And I've received that, and I try to pass it on and live in that way too. You know, uh, pass on what I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Paige. Appreciate it. Let's take another caller. Anya, listening online in Washington, D.C. Hello, Anya. Hello there. Uh, Thank you so much for taking my call. I actually have a question for the group. And as artists, I was wondering if you could talk about using social media to promote your artwork. I know it's a great way to reach out to more people outside where you live, but also I've seen that it might be difficult to convey nuances or deal with negative comments or negative people. All right, thank you, Anya. And let's go ahead and let Cameron field this question. Cameron White, comic book artist and illustrator. He's Choctaw in Cherokee. Cameron, hello again. Thank you for joining us. And please feel free to respond to our caller, Anya, with regard to integrating social media into the work you do and the message you have. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty, uh, big one because I do use, uh, social media a lot and through social media, I, I will say I have found a great community of other native artists and especially other, um, Afro-Indigenous artists who I probably wouldn't reach in real life, but who I have reached through social media and formed a community. Uh, but unfortunately the downside of, social media, you, you will get the haters. There will be like very, you know, either nasty or horrible uh, comments, but um, I've seen the way that um, community has like band together to uh, protect each other from these comments and um, uplift each other. We uplift each other from uh, these type of comments and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's, through social media, um, it's nice that I'm able to put my art out there and reach uh, like people like all across um, you know the world and especially like um, all across um, here and have people just be like, "Hey, I see your work online or through social media, and it's like really inspired me as you know as an indigenous artist." And, um, you know, something that um, usually people would have to travel or go to, you know, art spaces to go see, but now they can see it online and be inspired as well. 
Yeah, it's just amazing how accessible everything is. But uh, Cameron, let's talk a little bit about like the negative comments because you mentioned that, and and I think anybody that has a profile on social media, you know, you deal with that. And and what's your advice? I mean, do do you do you read those comments? Do you respond? Do you just try your best to ignore them? How do you handle it? Because I think everybody at some level has to deal with that. Yeah, I've <laughs> I've gotten. The brunt, I've gotten like really bad um, times where I posted art. I, there's one, especially this art I posted with characters of mine. Um, can't say it on the radio, but against Christopher Columbus. And I've got like a lot of nasty comments after that piece and whatnot. And when it comes to comments like that, I, I used to give in. And I used to like, you know, reply to those comments and like that stuff. But I now, uh, as I'm older, it's, it's kind of like not worth it at this point. Uh, I think the best thing to do is just like block those people and don't engage because they're taking away your energy. And um, it, I don't think it's worth having to, you know, down yourself and having them you know take away your light and whatnot so many trolls out there too just just trying to get a rise out of people for sure well cameron let's talk a little bit more about your artwork and uh you know comic book illustrating i mean when did you get into this type of art and uh and, and what is it how are you able to convey your message through comic book art yeah, so my dad was always in the comics and kind of just shoved them in my face. <laughs> so uh, I really got into it. I was also, as a kid, into things like anime and cartoons. So without even thinking about it, I started uh, making my own characters and making my own uh, comics. And it wasn't until high school that I was just like, wait, I can do this as a job i can like um you know i can make my own characters i don't have to keep drawing uh superman and batman over and over so with my message i like to you know make characters so everyone's seen in like a healthy and positive way because even though growing up as a fan i know there are times where i saw you know my uh people like me like represented in like a negative light and um, my culture represented stereotypically. So with that, I want to turn it around and make sure that the youth after me or people can see themselves represented in um, a healthy and wonderful way, something that can make them uh, proud of. Cameron, Comic book art, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the mainstream comic industry, I mean, you know, the movies and and the television. So, I mean, it's just such a huge, huge platform. And there's definitely, you know, it seems to be a conscious effort by comic book publishers to diversify their stable of characters, right? We're seeing more diverse characters. But do you think that's making a difference? And more importantly, do you think they're doing a good job of adequately reflecting the public's understanding of the richness of diverse cultures? Yeah, I think with that, it mostly depends on how they do it and if they're willing or sometimes they say they want to do diversity, but like not put the work in. 
And if they want to actually uh, put the work in and be respectful and reach out to communities to, uh, you know, look and give feedback and give, um, you know, actual um, culture studies and like what they can do right and what's wrong here. So I think um, now we saw like more positive things with the, um, I think with recent Echo where they reached out to the Choctaw Nation mm -hmm. to get things right. But yeah, I, I've seen some stuff where um, they've, you know, written characters, like native characters, and I look and they're like, you know, uh, not native. And of course, with that, the character ends up being like stereotypical or like not well done. Right, right. Cameron, what are you working on now? Yeah, uh, recently I just finished um, working on an anthology. Uh, it's going to be published with Iron Circus Comics. It's called um, Indigenerd uh, Tales from a Modern Indigenous Life. Uh, it's put together by Alina Pete. And basically what it is is just putting together a bunch of um, native stories by uh, native artists. And we talk about pop culture, sci-fi, uh, things like that. We have fun um, modern stories, while some of them are personal that I feel like other, other people can uh, relate to. So uh, that's something that recently I did and should be coming out soon. And we were lucky enough to uh, reach our stretch goal to where uh, we're able to send free copies to um, indigenous libraries, community centers, and schools across the uh, U.S. and Canada. Oh, that's super cool. Really good to know that, Cameron. And Cameron, thanks again for joining us. We're going to have to wrap up the show, but uh, good luck to you going forward, okay? Yeah, thank you for having me. You bet. And to our other guests on the show today, Paige Pettibon, Michaela Thompson, Monica Rickert-Bolter, thank you all for joining us and providing such a rich, rich, uh, awesome discussion that we had here on our show today. Listeners, please join us again tomorrow for The Menu, our special feature on Native Food Sovereignty. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll talk again soon. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D dot com. Medicare <laughs> Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. 
and native nonprofit media organizations. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.